Would you turn your copy of Scripture to what was read earlier, Mark chapter 15? It doesn't sound very Christmassy, but it is. Because that's what the birth is all about. It's what we read about. I have read about what we'll talk about this morning. We want, last week we looked at the, uh, the religious trial of Jesus, and today we'll take a look at the secular trial, just a, a quick look. And, uh, and, and we, want, we do this before we celebrate the Lord's Supper today. So I want us to, to put the Lord's Supper in the context of what Jesus suffered. And, and I want this suffering of Jesus to be in the context of the gift that he gave us of the Lord's Supper. So we'll, uh, we'll try to make some application as we go along. But there are a couple of other scriptures that I would like to call your attention to before we actually get into talking about uh, Jesus before Pilate. One of them is in Hebrews chapter 12. In verse 2, and I'll just read it for you. you can, it's in your notes. You can look it up later. Now I'll start with verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And now I want to take you over to the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 15, which is a, a parable of Jesus that you are familiar with. It's the parable. This section I want to look at is the parable of the prodigal son. You remember that story. There were two sons, the one father, one younger son decided that he wanted what was his and he would go off on his own and, and do what he wanted to do with what he had. After he had been gone a while, he found himself in. in dire straits, and verse 17 of Luke 15 says, when he, this second son, younger son, came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And bring a, a ring and put it on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let's eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And then they began to celebrate. And you remember there was the other son who stayed home, pooched his lips out and pouted and said, I've always been here and I've always done good for you and you throw a party for this one who is a reprobate. And the father said to him, everything you have is yours. Always has been. So keep those two sections of Scripture in your mind as we talk about, about the, the trial. I also want to back up to kind of, kind of get us up to, 
to speed and just remind us of a few things we have already talked about. In Mark chapter 14, we talked about Jesus' last days as, as, as uh, he sat at, at dinner in a, in a house and along came Mary, who was a, a sinful woman, or, or the people around him said, said that she was. I, we don't, I'm not sure which Mary this was, but she was one who loved Jesus and sinful like all of us. And she stood behind him and pour, broke open a, a, a vessel of expensive ointment and anointed his feet with that ointment. And it fragrance filled the room and she broke this, this investment on Jesus and poured it out. It could not be recouped and it says she eventually dried his feet with her hair. And so that, that was a, a special honor. She, he said that she's preparing me for my burial and wherever the gospel is told, it, this will be remembered. That special shameless outpouring of worship. And there were some who said, it is a terrible shame that she would waste this money when it could be given to the poor. And Jesus said, there's nothing better that could be done with it than to honor me. And then we, we, as we go on through in Mark, we come to the institution of the Lord's Supper where he sits with his disciples on one of the meals that's connected to Passover. And when that meal is over, he, he shares with them a breaking of bread and a passing of the cup. He says, this, this, is, this bread is my body that's broke, that is for you. This cup is, is a, new a new covenant in my blood. And he says, I will not drink this again until I drink it in the kingdom. Okay? So he's telling them of, of what's ahead. And, and he gives them the, the Lord's Supper. And in one of the gospel accounts, he says, do this in remembrance of me. So it's something that we, we do. And, and then we have the account of Judas, who sat with them before this that point where he, he gave them the bread and the cup. But at the meal, he sat with them, and Jesus said, one who's going to betray me, his hand is on the table. And he gave all kind of indication that it was Judas, but nobody expected it, suspected him, because he seemed credible. But he had already planned his betrayal. He had already gone to the, to the priests and made the deal to turn Jesus over them, to them. And he's just going to, to tell them that it's time. And then, as we, as we read on last week, we know that, that, uh, that Judas came back. He had made a deal to betray Jesus for cash. And, and when, when the crowd came to take Jesus... Remember all the disciples who said that they would be there for through thick and thin were ran away and abandoned him. But Judas, who was going to profit from this venture, was there. The betrayer was there. And how did he betray Jesus? He betrayed him with a kiss. And in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? But he kissed him. Why? Because, because that is a, that, that's what a, a disciple does to his rabbi. And so that would not be an unusual thing. So maybe he would think Jesus wouldn't suspect anything except for this crowd behind him of soldiers and, and people with sticks and staves and swords. But he betrayed him with a kiss. He betrayed him with a sign of what should have been a sign of, of honor. It was a shameful way for him to betray Jesus. And then he was arrested. 
We talked last week about the three religious trials. He went to Caiaphas, and then he went to the high priest, and this was all at night. And then during the day, he met with the whole council before the whole council, and they said, he's guilty of our he's deserving of death, and so they sent him to Pilate, and that's where we are today. Now, as they go to Pilate, in, in 15, chapter 15, verse 1, as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. Now, I want to take you over to the Gospel of John, chapter 18, because there's a detail there that it's really significant. All these details are significant. But as the religious leaders are delivering Jesus to Pilate, because they didn't have the authority to put him to death, they had the authority to do some other things, but, but death, they didn't have that, that, that option of. And so they're taking him to Pilate and going to make their case before him. And when we get over to, to John 18, they, they got him to get down to verse 28. Let me see. Yeah. Verse 28, they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. And so Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? Now that was the, the, the religious leader saying, we will not shame ourselves. We will not submit ourselves to the shame of going within this Gentile, this Roman house, but we will have our purpose accomplished, which is to see the Messiah, the Son of God, killed, crucified, without any evidence of any guilt of any kind. So they take him to Pilate, the height of hypocrisy, because what they are doing as they take Jesus to Pilate and refuse to enter his house is they are saying, we will obey the law to the letter. And they would say that they were obeying the law of God. They're obeying the minutiae that they, that, that the little details of the laws of how to keep the law. We will, we will be legally right. Even though spiritually we're far from God and we're turning God in the flesh over to be crucified. So, they led him. To, to Pilate, and Pilate asked, we're back to Mark 15 now, are you the king of Jews? And he answered and said to him, you have said so. Now that's, that's the last thing he's going to say. And the chief priests accused him of many things, and Pilate asked him again, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? And Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Jesus was silent. Was he silent because he was guilty and didn't want to incriminate himself? No, he was silent because nothing he said would make any difference. And he was silent because he was enduring what was going on, which was the best thing that could happen for you and for me. 
And it was what the Father had ordained, and it was what he had committed himself to. So he was bearing the shame as spoken of in, in Hebrews. In, in John chapter 19, after the questioning, after his silence, it says that Pilate took Jesus and flogged him and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in purple. And they came up to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And so Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said, Behold the man and the chief priests and the officers saw him and they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said, Take him yourself and crucify him. Now we know in the interim, the crowd that had followed the, the religious leaders to Pilate's house that had gathered outside said, Well, it, it's the Passover time and, and there's a tradition that you let somebody go. And so they said, Are you going to stick by that Pilate? Oh, sure, I will let somebody go. And he was assuming that they were going to want Jesus to be let loose because... He was without sin. But instead, they demanded a murderer, a terrorist, Barabbas, to be turned loose. He said, what do you want me to do with Jesus? I want him to be crucified. How could Jesus endure all of this? Well, one thing I would suggest to you is that he endured all this, or the, what assisted him in enduring, enduring all this, was the time that he spent in the garden in prayer. Remember what he said to his disciples, the ones who, who went up with him, Peter, James, and John? He said, sit here and watch and pray. I'm going to go over there and pray. He came back and found them asleep, and he said, can't you stay awake? awake? You need to watch and pray. Three times he came to them, and they were asleep. And three times he went away and prayed. And what was he doing? He was watching and he was praying. He was preparing for this time. He was watching for the will of the Father. He was praying for the strength to carry through in his, in his humanity. He was praying for the glory of God. He was getting ready to endure the cross and all that was connected to it, connected to it, all the shame that would come with it. So he had been praying and watching, and he, like the father of the prodigal son, did all that for the love of the prodigal. Let me. Let, I want to emphasize the shame that goes on here, and that's why I read the, about the, the abuse of Jesus, putting a crown on him, putting the, the, the purple robe on him, beating him, blindfolding him, saying, prophesy, tell us who did that, and, and just enduring him. That was shameful. He is God in the flesh. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he's enduring this. He is being shamed. It would be a terrible thing for someone who was guilty to have to go through but Jesus bore it because he loved us that much. Now, let me take it back to that, to that father of the prodigal. You know when that son came to him and he said, Father, I, I, want, to, I want to come back home 
But, but I'm, I'm not going to call it home. I'm willing to work like a slave. The father ran and met him. You know, when the father did that, he did a shameful thing according to tradition. Because you can go back to the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy, it says a son who is rebellious like this son has been is, is supposed to be taken to the elders of the city to the gate and then reported and then they are to stone him to death. And a father who doesn't stick by that, and not just in the, in the, in the Jewish world but in the Greek world as well, anybody who would take back such a rebellious son was a shameful father. But you know why this father would do it? Why he would bear the shame? Because he loved his son. Because this son was his son. You know why Jesus bore all this abuse and all this shame and even the shame of being hung up naked on a cross? Because he loved us so much. He loves us so much. Now, 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 let me show you one more thing about this, this son. You say, well, the, the prodigal son was repentant. Well, he was in a way, but you know what? He, his repentance, the type of repentance that he, that he demonstrated, what it says, it says, I do not know my father. Because why did he leave in the first place? He left because he said, my father's too strict. I can't do what I want to do. He's got his, his claws on me. I'm tied to his apron strings or whatever kind of strings. I can't be myself. I cannot be free. I have to please him. And the only way I can please him is doing all the things that he wants done. And so he said, I'm cutting loose. Give me my stuff. The father did that. He went away. And when he came back, what was his plan? His plan was to meet the legal requirements of his father. He thought his father only wanted somebody who would keep his nose to the grindstone. He thought, he thought his father was somebody who, who demanded that everyone go by his rules but just for the sake of going by his rules. Just so he could say, I am the father and what I say goes. He did not recognize that this father loved him so much that he would bear the shame of his son as well as his own shame for taking him back. And so even when the son repented, it was, a, it was a faulty kind of repentance because he didn't come back and throw himself on the mercy of the father because he didn't think his father had any mercy. Now when Jesus suffered all that he suffered, he paid the penalty he suffered for folks like us who oftentimes think that the only way Jesus is going to love me is if I meet all the legal requirements. Or, if, if, even if I, I say that, well, I'm saved by grace and He graciously takes me in, we still seem to sometimes think that we can add to His love or, or endear ourselves more to Him if we are just precise enough in carrying out the details of the law. So that we would never go into Pilate's house because that would disqualify us. But we will sometimes sell Jesus out. You ever been there? Have you been there lately? 
So as, as we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper, I want us to consider ourselves the times that we have said, I refuse to be ruled by this one, seeing what a harsh taskmaster he is, and we've run away. I want us also to remember the times that we have come back and said, let me pay my way out of this, instead of remembering the complete, total, gracious, loving pavement that Jesus provided on the cross and on his way to the cross. Do you hear what I'm saying? So as we come to the Lord's table, I want us to come with thankfulness, who bore our shame, who endured the cross, despising the shame. I, I, I want us to come in thankful, thankfulness to the Lord who endured all that, that, was, that led up to the cross as well as the cross, all the shame, all the disgrace. I want us to come in, in that gratitude with a, a grace, having been saved by God's grace, to come exhibiting grace to one another. You know? So that the, the person next to you is as, we're not thinking about him as he takes the Lord's Supper or her as we take the Lord's Supper and think, well, he's got his nerve. We're going to be as gracious as Jesus is to us. We want to remember his body that was given for us. We want to remember his blood that is the new covenant that says we are freed from from qualifying by the law or for the law being the standard. Jesus is the standard of everything now. We want to remember His coming again. As He said, I will not drink this cup again. I'll not, I'll not have this kind of celebration again until we have it in the kingdom. So we want to remember His body that was given, His blood that was shed, His coming again. And we want to consider the salvation that is by grace. Offered freely through faith. For by grace you're saved through faith and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We want to remember that salvation of grace that cannot be acquired by things that we do. After the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to the mercy he saved us, or according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which, is, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Considering salvation of gra by grace, Paul wrote back when he said, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus and by the grace that cannot be taken away if God be for us who can be against us he that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall he not with him also freely give us all things and who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect it is God that justifies the one who separate us and who can separate us from the love of Christ 
Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? We are more than conquerors through him that loved us, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we don't do it because we have to. We do it because we celebrate the grace and that, that Jesus exhibited and the shame that He bore for us. That bought our salvation. That continues our salvation. And so we come. Not to meet some legal requirement. But because we are so thankful for the grace that Jesus demonstrated. So I invite you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you are obedient to Him, examining yourself just between you and Him, I invite you to join us in the Lord's Supper as we partake of it. Would those who are to serve come forward at this time? Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for a plan that was beyond the imagination of any human. A love that was demonstrated that no one would ever expect. We thank you for the, the opportunity to celebrate the body, the physical body of Jesus that was laid down. The human blood that was shed. All sin is the only qualifying blood that was shed to pay for us. We thank you for the privilege of remembering this. Thank you that you remind us of this. And so as we continue, Lord, help us. Help us remember as we should. Help us celebrate as we should. Help us exhibit the grace that you have to us. And we pray for your glory in Jesus' name. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. Would you hold each element until everybody has it and then we'll partake of it together. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do come to you, Lord, at a, an amazing time of remembrance. Lord, forgive us if we can walk out these doors, Lord, and, and forget, and forget the sacrifice that you paid on the cross of Calvary with your body that was so beaten. Lord, just uh, help us to be faithful.
Forgive us when we're not. Help us, Lord, to go through every day and remember. Remember. Just flash it in our minds, Lord, how you suffered for the sins of the world. That you loved us so much. Help us, Lord, to, to love you even a small amount as much as you love us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you for the opportunity to celebrate that which Christ has done for us in shedding his blood and through his sacrifice that we might live the real life in you. We pray, Father, that as we take of this cup, you will help us to remember truly what it means and to live lives accordingly. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. be a disgrace for us to celebrate the salvation that Jesus provided for us and the grace that he demonstrated and not offer it to someone who's here this morning who's yet to come to you. That's right. So we want to give you the opportunity if you have yet to come to Christ as your Lord and Savior to realize that you don't have to clean yourself up before you come. He accepts you just like you are. Just like that, that father took that prodigal son back. He didn't say clean him up and then bring him in. He said he's mine and now we're going to clean him so if you would come to Christ this morning, you know that you're far from Him. You know that you need a Savior. He is the only Savior. And if you would pray in your heart and mean it, Lord, I know that I'm a Savior. Save me. You're not saved by those words, but you're saved by that attitude. He's already provided everything that's necessary. If you would but confess Him and take Him, take His taking you. So we invite you to come. Just as a way of proclaiming that to the folks who are here, we're going to stand. We're going to sing a couple of verses of a hymn to give you opportunity to respond. If you have questions about that, come on down and talk about that. If you want to just declare that before us, we give you that opportunity. As we stand and as we sing, we invite you to come. <laughs> 